Welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes, and today we are back with an episode all about Chinese medicine and coronavirus. Uh, before I get into the podcast today and my guest and the highlights, uh, just a couple of things that I would like to share with you, a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, if you have not joined our Facebook community group, um, please do so. Uh, you can check out the link in the show notes for that. Um, we literally opened up a week ago at time of recording, and we've got a few hundred people in there. So uh, really, it's just become a very, very uh, supportive community space. We've done uh, sessions with some of my colleagues and friends on emotional freedom techniques, uh, on you know, can nutrients actually increase your susceptibility for coronavirus infection? Uh, there's meal plans, there's recipes, there's a lot of stuff in there that supports you. And of course, you're also going to be surrounded by a community of like-minded people who are all looking to help one another. Uh, so coming up in that group uh, very soon, I'm hoping to start some guided meditations, uh, yoga classes and stuff like that with some of our community members. So I encourage you to join. Uh, click the link below and uh, we'll see you in the group. Uh, second of all, um, you know, I am 100% open for clinic. So if you're looking for personalized functional medicine, lifestyle and nutrition care, uh, you can also click the link below and book a discovery call. Okay, so uh, typically what I do is I work with people in six-month blocks, and uh, we dive into your entire health history. We can run lab tests. Um, we basically come up with a full program for you to move you from where you are uh, into a space of where you want to be. Okay, so um, check out that below. Go to the website for more details. Um, the website is going to be changing quite a bit um, over the next few weeks uh, as we start to build out some more things. The final announcement is simply just to notify you that I will be launching probably in the next week, I hope. I'm going to be launching a very, uh, what I would consider innovative um, pilot type of project, which is called Community Care. This Community Care uh, model is really targeted towards high-risk individuals. Okay, so people that have diabetes or pre-diabetes, that have metabolic syndrome, that have heart disease, uh, that is, you know, everyone agrees. That demographic, especially if you're slightly older, is at the highest risk for complications from COVID-19. And what I've done is, you know, I've sort of realized that for many people listening, for a lot of people out there, in fact, uh, maybe you don't have the money to pay thousands of dollars for private functional medicine care or, you know, that type of thing. Um, maybe you don't have hundreds and thousands of dollars to spend on lab testing. And so I've sort of identified that as a big gap between high-risk individuals and what they can actually access with regards to care. More than that, uh, I think we also have to acknowledge that because of social distancing, because a lot of facilities are shut down, uh, because they're prioritizing COVID-19, many of us don't have access to either our primary care providers or to our naturopaths or uh, functional medicine doctors or nutritionists or health coaches or anyone else. Um, when you double down with that and think about the economic side of things and lack of affordability for these types of services, what I'm going to be launching in the next week is a shared cost group program that will be done online 
And that is going to be revolving around those high-risk individuals that have cardiovascular disease, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, uh, and prediabetes. Okay, high blood pressure sort of fits in there as well. So definitely stay tuned to um, the podcast, stay tuned to the website, and most importantly, join the Facebook community group so that when I launch that, um, you know, if you know someone who fits that category, uh, you might want to share this with them. Okay, so very low cost, shared cost group program so that you can afford this type of care, but also be surrounded by a group of people who are going through the same challenges, the same goals um, as you are. Okay, so we have good data to show now that 40% of individuals who go through these types of group programs actually never have to see their primary care physicians, which is uh, quite something. So uh, my next podcast will actually be all about community care, and uh, I'll probably launch the program officially uh, in conjunction with that podcast. All right, so on to today's show, uh, Dr. Eric Karchmer, who is a PhD, uh, MD in China and a licensed acupuncturist, uh, joins me today uh, to talk all about Chinese medicine and coronavirus. Um, you know, I will just say that I think this episode is, is very interesting, first of all. Um, you know, it's looking a little bit at what, how they've approached this in China, um, a sort of, you know, com combination, if you will, of Western and Eastern medicine. Um, I will just say, though, that I feel like the conversation does get a little bit granular. Um, you know, I, I do push Eric to sort of give some practical recommendations so that you can actually use these at home and walk away with something tangible. Um, but I feel like some of the conversation might uh, be lost on people. Okay, so um, I'll let you decide for yourself uh, what you think of that. Um, but I will also say that if you look at the show notes, I've put some links to some of the things that Eric talks about in the podcast. Okay, he does absolutely give some practical recommendations. Uh, so ginger tea, licorice, some things that you can do at home. Um, but you know, the overarching sort of thrust of this episode that I got anyway, is that if you are looking for a Chinese medicine approach, it is preferable to seek out a Chinese medicine practitioner. Okay, so uh, again, I'm going to encourage you to join the Facebook group because we do have a very talented Chinese medicine doc in the group. And I'm probably going to be striking up some Facebook lives with him uh, to unpack some of this and give you a chance to ask some questions. So I think that's it from my side. Um, thanks as always for tuning in. I hope you're staying safe wherever you are. Um, I hope you and your family are well. And um, yeah, I would love to see you in that group and for us to pull together as a community as we uh, move through these very uncertain times. So thanks for tuning in. As always, please share, subscribe, review, do whatever you can to keep the show going. And uh, please welcome to the show, Dr. Eric Karchmer. Hi, Eric. Welcome to the show today. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Brad. Thanks so much for having me on. This is, is, is going to be fun. I think it is going to be fun and I want to honor your time. I know that we don't have a lot of time together, so I just want to jump right into it. But 
before we do that, um, I want to, uh, if we can just get a sort of potted bio of yourself, because, you know, you wear many hats, you've got a long history in all of this. And so, you know, what do you do? And um, that'll segue into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, yeah, sounds great. So um, uh, I do kind of two things. I'm, a, I'm an anthropologist, a medical anthropologist, um, and I teach at uh, Appalachian State University in Western North Carolina. And my real focus is on med yeah, medical anthropology, but I teach kind of cultural anthropology broadly. Um, and as part of my research in cultural anthropology and medical anthropology, I started studying Chinese medicine. This was back in the uh, 1990s. And um, uh, ended up spending um, a little bit unusual for uh, an anthropology PhD, but ended up spending five years studying Chinese medicine at the Beijing University of Chinese Medicine, um, and got got uh, sort of their official sort of MD, if you will, is what, what the equivalent of their MD in, in traditional medicine. Not they also have, of course, schools in Western medicine. Um, and then since finishing that, I, uh, I you know I, after finishing that, I came back to the U.S. and I started a clinical practice uh, in North Carolina. So I see patients and I do acupuncture and herbal medicine, uh, eventually finished up the PhD and kind of made my way to Appalachian State University. And then sort of the, the last thing um, which kind of put us together is I also have a, a, small, a small company, Dow Labs, uh, where we sell some uh, commonly used, uh, very useful kind of herbal formulas uh, in a slightly more accessible format. Okay, um, awesome. And of course, that's what we want to talk about today. So, yeah. I mean, relative to um, everything that's going on in the world, I think it's a very timely conversation that we're having. Um, you know, while everyone is looking to vaccines and we're sort of waiting for that, no one really knows how long that's going to take. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of debates online um, with regards to what supplements to take, um, what supplements mm -hmm. actually work, what don't work. <laughs> and of course, everyone who owns a supplement company is going to find some way to justify and rationalize how their particular um, product works. But I think um, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show is, you know, you wrote a paper back in 2015, which we'll sort of um, pick apart in a little bit, and I'll let you explain what that paper was. But also we have, you know, thousands of years of traditional um, history. You know, this is not the first time we've faced um, uh, the plague or measles epidemics or whatever it is. So I think that looking to Chinese medicine is is perhaps quite useful. So um, I don't know where you want to start. Um, well, why, don't, why don't we start? Why don't we start with that paper? Actually, um, so this is um, part of my research, and uh, because it it comes together very interestingly with like the the current pandemic. Um, but uh, so I've been, as you know, as I said, I've been interested in Chinese medicine for years, and uh, um, the background to the paper is that uh, when I was a student in China, you know, Chinese medicine in China has a uh, the status of Chinese medicine is a bit complicated. It's, um, uh, um, you know, here in the here in the West, it's uh, even more complicated. We might say it's still a fringe kind of alternative medicine, uh, but in China, it's certainly very widespread. But the status has been complicated because, for many people, it's not it's not modern. It's maybe a symbol of backwardsness. Um, and this would be true, of course, for traditional medicines all around the world, but very true in China. And so. Um, uh, and so there's a lot of, um, uh, even within the Chinese medicine community, uh, there's kind of doubts about like what it can do and what it can't do. And, and then you have doctors of all kind of ranges of skills. You have these master clinicians who, who seemingly can do a lot. And you have like young doctors who maybe are kind of clueless. Uh, but one of the, one of the, one of the raps on Chinese medicine that people would always say, and I, I totally, uh, kind of took it in as a student was that Chinese medicine was slow. It works slowly. 
um, and therefore it's not effective for um, acute diseases. Um, and part of part of the and what is effective would be Western medicine, and we can kind of think antibiotics. But you can also think all your emergency room technologies and things like that. Um, and so, just to give you a little example, when I um, uh, we have there are hospitals of Chinese medicine in China now, and 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 major universities and. In those hospitals, so you'll have a fair amount of Western medicine too. So doctors of Chinese medicine will kind of do both, and they have to kind of decide, like, when do I do just stick with my Chinese medicine or when do I do my Western medicine? And one of the choices that everyone always made is when I was a student was, like, if it came to, like, some kind of infection or if you were, like, in the ER, the ER was, like, let's say almost 100% um, Western medicine. Right. Um, and if and in, the, in the wards too, if a patient suddenly got a, a pneumonia, uh, or some sort of um, other infection. Usually it's quickly go to the antibiotics. Uh, and so I think most young doctors, myself included, have this very strong impression that Chinese medicine just wouldn't be fast enough to get, you know, if you've got an elderly patient with a pneumonia, just like we're having sort of like USRs, um, you know, it's, we better get the antibiotics because it's, we don't want to, we don't want to risk it. Um, and that was kind of very true in the emergency room. So that was sort of the wrap. Um, and, um, and uh, I kind of wasn't able to think my way out of that. I don't think I think most doctors weren't until I kind of got involved in a research project, kind of in the 2008 and nine. I got some funding, um, and I didn't go to investigate this particular issue. But I what I wanted to do was talk to very elderly doctors about how they uh, studied and practiced Chinese medicine before the communist revolution. Communist revolution for those who, folks who aren't up in the Chinese history was 1949, and uh, and that's sort of like um, you know when also the Chinese state was sort of really sort of building like a, a major healthcare system that we have today, today. Today, China has you know very good hospitals of Western medicine, uh, but also even the hospitals of Chinese medicine really date to like the 1950s. Um, so uh, so I just was I just really was sort of dying to know like what happened before then uh, because there just wasn't much written about it and was able to kind of interview a lot of these elderly doctors who were in their uh, 80s and 90s um, and you know one of the first questions I asked it wasn't sort of the point the point of the interviews initially but one of the first questions I asked was well, well tell me a little bit about like when you were like 20 and a young doctor or 25 or working with your sort of uh, master teacher these there weren't so many schools back then uh what kind of things did you treat or your teacher treat uh and the stories were all things like well uh dengue fever um uh, there was a big cholera outbreak in 1946 smallpox uh bubonic plague uh and uh, and the list kind of went on <laughs> um and it and when i first the very first doctor who kind of started talking to me like that in the interview i, I honestly thought he was um like maybe pulling my leg, like yeah. <laughs> here's like a gullible, uh, here's a gullible Westerner who doesn't know that much, and I'll just, um, uh, you know, I'll just, uh, you know, tell him some big stories or something like that. Um, so I was even skeptical the first time I heard that, uh, first time I sort of heard about like some of this. But like the next doctor, I kind of got very similar stories, people that aren't connected to each other, uh, and so very quickly I realized, oh, I, I do not. Uh, this is a very different story about Chinese medicine that I'm hearing. Than I've heard for all of my training and all of my kind of research, uh, and so very quickly it became apparent to me. And doctors told me this too. I started asking them. So I was like, "So this this sounds like very different than how you practice medicine today, uh, because doctors today in China are really Chinese medicine doctors. They really focus on chronic diseases, and if you think about sort of um, autoimmune diseases." Uh, rheumatoid arthritis. There are a lot of things that we don't have great answers for in Western medicine, and those are sort of like where contemporary doctor of Chinese medicine have sort of like 
you know, stake their claim to fame. I can, I can, I can find a way to treat your, um, your Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, those sort of things. Um, but they, what they said to me is that, but back in the thirties and forties, uh, uh, the main thing we treated were sort of acute infectious diseases, um, including all those ones I sort of just listed. Uh, a typhoid would be a, another a big one. Uh, measles. Um, uh, and that kind of, it kind of stunned me, but they said, well, and, th- and there was a lot of good explanations for it too. I mean, a couple of the explanations were, that was a time when there was, um, one, there was a lot of poverty. So people, um, people who had some sort of chronic disease really probably just sort of made their way as best they could with it. Um, and folks who, um, uh, you know, and there's only going to be a small number of folks who had like the money to kind of like, you know, treat those sort of things, and they probably already in better health anyways because they're they're they were well off. Uh, so the mass the masses of people who wanted to see doctors saw them for acute diseases. And at that time, I guess the other important point was there was very little Western medicine, um, and there's also Western medicine at that moment was also this is sort of like pre antibiotics, uh, and there actually weren't like a lot of great solutions. So we a lot of the things that we're familiar with um, in biomedicine or Western medicine today, a lot of them are like really recent developments post, post-World War II, um, you know, CT scans and um, uh, what have you. Uh, so a lot of those, even just a re- emergency room medicine itself is kind of a development of the 70s and 80s. Um, so that's, that piece of it wasn't there. Chinese medicine was um, very widespread at that time in China, and it was the main form of medicine. And so people went for these acute diseases, and the doctors were like, yeah, we had good, we had good solutions. What happened though was in that transition to the communist period in the in the fifties and sixties, um, you know, a lot of political leaders, you know, didn't know anything about medicine, but they certainly had like their own prejudices, like Chinese medicine is backwards, and so gradually, kind of the way the system got set up, they often got excluded from that kind of work. Uh, there was a belief that they didn't know how to treat those things because what does Chinese medicine know about a virus or uh, a bacteria? That's that, those are concepts that are not you know, they were never in the medical system to begin with. Um, and so uh, Chinese medicine had very little, um, uh, gradually sort of doctors kind of shifted their focus away from what was once considered the strength, like the acute infectious diseases, to these chronic diseases. Um, and so which kind of gets us a little bit to today, um, uh, and this was re- really kind of a forgotten story in China uh, until the SARS outbreak of 2003. Um, and during SARS, and I only learned about, so my research was that I started in sort of eight and nine, and that paper came out in 2015. But in kind of researching that paper and sort of starting to talk about, you know, you know, treating acute diseases, um, I ended up speaking with some doctors in Guangzhou. And Guangzhou, is, which is in southern China near Hong Kong, is where that was the center of the SARS outbreak. Um, this also happens to be a place where Chinese medicine is very popular in China. Like there's other, there's other parts of China where there's a lot of prejudice against it, but like if there's a if there's a if there's a city in China that like loves Chinese medicine more than any other, it's Guangzhou or, or Canton. Uh, and so um, doctors of Chinese medicine just became, were involved in treating it, um, and um, I think started discovering like they were, you know, they some of the treatments were working. Uh, and at the time for this, that's. Uh, uh, that particular outbreak. This is also a coronavirus, not not quite the same as today's, but um, the mortality rate was was uh, was quite high. So about fifteen percent, as opposed to people saying maybe three percent, three to four percent. Maybe it's more for COVID nineteen. Um, but there was the Western medicine. There was no Western medicine treatments, and people were trying things like 
extremely high doses of steroids and then they're having horrible if people survive that they're having like horrible side effects and yeah yeah all that uh, so there was a little bit of a, a it was a little bit of an awakening um uh for the chinese medicine community and for the chinese government uh because it, 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 when the start when the sars outbreak started uh, it actually hit uh it, it actually hit in in beijing pretty badly and including the hospital where i did my training uh, a doctor there who um, I didn't know very well, but he was a uh, about um, I think a, I think a, not that's not my class or a one ahead or behind me. Uh, he died in the outbreak. Some nurses died. Uh, so the the government initially thought, oh, it's just incompetence in Chinese medicine. They shut down that hospital, and like at least in Beijing, Chinese medicine doctors were like not invited to be involved at all. Uh, but as the epidemic kind of proceeded, they were realizing eventually down the line that things were actually happening very differently in Guangzhou. And kind of by the end of it, there was a little bit of a realization among kind of the political elites, if you will, in China that actually China medicine was something useful and there was nothing else to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then with this outbreak, um, uh, there's been a very conscious push by the Chinese government to have Chinese doctors kind of very closely involved. Oh, yeah. So there seems to be some interesting research that it's been coming out of China that's, that has been helping. Yeah, so let, let, let's get into that in a second. Yeah. Um, so with the original SARS outbreak, I mean, do we have good clinical data? Do we have anything to look at that showed us that Chinese medicine actually worked um, very well? Or is it just anecdotal at this point? I think, I think there is some good clinical data. I've, um, uh, it's all in Chinese. Uh, I've never seen anything published about it in English. I've written a little in that uh, paper that you mentioned, 2015 publication, I kind of have a um, a couple pages on it, but it's not, this is more of an anthropological yeah. kind of essay. It's not looking at the hard clinical data, but, um, but to, to write that, even those few pages, uh, I normally had, normally had a couple interviews with some of the doctors who were tensionally involved, not, they weren't directly on the, mm -hmm. um, in, on the clinical front lines. Uh, but also there was, uh, some books came out in China, not how, how, how well are the studies done or something, you know, that's an, maybe another question, but they, um, if I can remember, if I can remember, I think maybe doctors in Guangzhou were claiming that the mortality rate for patients that they treated with Chinese medicine was maybe something like 6% as opposed to like 15%. So just lowered. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I mean, you know, there's, yeah. that, that's a pretty big difference um, yeah. when you start mapping that out on, onto big numbers, you know, that's yes. So um, yeah. now be, before we get into the actual herbs, I think it's um, as far as my understanding goes anyway, because I've read up a little bit on a Chinese medicine approach to um, coronavirus. And it's my understanding that Chinese medicine views things a little bit differently from Western yes. medicine, where we're not just trying to attack the virus. We're actually looking at different stages of um, whether it's exposure, whether it's early stage infection, whether it's late stage, whether it's post stage. And uh, I just want to set that up for you and, and let you yeah. um, unpack that a little bit for us. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So, um, uh, and that's, uh, and I think even, I think some people may be thinking, well, how, uh, in fact, if my wife said this to me, um, uh, just, a, just a, uh, maybe two weeks ago, um, she was like, so wait, she's kind of, sort of looked at me, she said, so is there a treatment in Chinese medicine for this virus, for which we know there's no drug in Western medicine that treats it? Uh, and so the answer is, you know, I don't, I, I don't have all the sort of data in front of me, but sure. the answer is quite, is quite possibly, and I believe that there is from everything I'm hearing. Uh, and the reason is because it, exactly as you said, Chinese medicine looks at the whole process very differently. So you don't start with, um, you don't start with this idea of sort of a microorganism, a virus or a bacteria or what have you, kind of like 
causing the upper respiratory tract infection. You, just, you start with the symptoms, and then the explanations um, are going to sound kind of foreign, but uh, they're going to be things like uh, wind and, and cold, and, and dampness is something the doctors are talking about, about a little a lot. And then sort of like where it is in the body, as you kind of mentioned, state, this idea of stages is, I've kind of seen Chinese doctors breaking it down into um, kind of four stages, but broadly speaking in sort of Chinese medicine, you know, the first stage is really on the exterior of the body. It's still mm. kind of at the level of the of the skin and muscles, if you will. It could almost be the or the pores would be uh, kind of the way you might talk about it. Uh, later, if it's kind of if you start if you're developing a pneumonia, then it's moving interior to the body. It's moving into the interior, uh, and you're in the lungs. And there's ways about thinking about the lungs uh, um, in Chinese medicine. So that might end up you might have you would certainly have very different treatments. Uh, uh, and just broadly speaking, about how you and this is the way you think about treating COVID nineteen is the same way you think about treating any kind of what we call a cold or upper respiratory tract infection infection and as do you have fever and chills are you sweating or not um uh body aches that's sort of one stage uh you've got a you've got a cough you might you're gonna have to sort of adjust for the cough are you really having difficulty breathing uh yet then there's yet other kinds of combinations of herbs that, that are address that and i think another important point to kind of for folks to remember um is that unlike um, unlike a th- how we often imagine um, alternative medicine uh, in, in the West and um, uh, maybe adaptogens or something you might see? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Chinese medicine uh, most importantly works because it's a combination of herbs. Uh, so the uh, so it's not so much that there's any one like active ingredient that's sort of like killing the virus because that's not how you think about it. You're trying to you're trying to sort of reverse a process that you sort of and you have a particular way of understanding it, um, where it's at and what's causing it. But you're trying to reverse a process and use use a combination of herbs that sort of work synergistically together to like drive out the wind, uh, you know, uh, dispel the cold, um, uh, settle the lungs, uh, those those sorts of things. And so they you you want them to kind of be put to, they're put together with a lot of thought. Actually, they're sort of you can think of Chinese formulas as having like a structure to them. Yeah, uh, things yeah. are kind of quite quite balanced. And of course, yeah. balance is sort of like a key idea. Just like therapeutically, we want to put this patient like back in balance. Mm-hmm. So the formulas are sort of balanced in a way that's going to sort of like reverse this process. Yeah, and that um, makes I mean that makes sense. Um, I have sort of dabbled in Chinese medicine, at least had a look at it. Um, yeah, uh-huh. It's a whole system, and I, I get yes. that it's it's a very complex system that is quite different even to Ayurvedic medicine for that matter where there's a bit of overlap but uh, you know Chinese medicine has really sort of um, evolved with the times where I feel that in many ways Ayurveda has been sort of frozen in time and so 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 some of the some of the applications that you would use are rooted in you know thousands of years ago and don't really apply in the modern context um, but but you know I mean that that said I think just to sort of bring us um, just to distill all of this a little bit um, you know, first of all, it's sounding to me like Chinese medicine doesn't really subscribe to the germ theory as much as Western medicine does. Yes, yes. You know, more, more of more looking at the terrain or what's going on in the body and how it responds to an external pathogen, right? Uh, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, now, it's not that you can't kind of put the two together because you yeah. certainly can. And, and, uh, and I, I should back up and say a little bit about my own training. Uh, because this would be true for all doctors of Chinese medicine, you do spend a lot of time learning Western medicine as well. So you're really kind okay. of trained in both. Uh, so there, um, so we shouldn't, um, some people might still imagine that maybe a doctor of Chinese medicine doesn't really know what a virus is or anything like that. 
Uh, in fact, actually, doctors in China, of Chinese medicine are actually very competent doctors of Western medicine too. And sometimes they just do Western medicine. But okay. um, uh, so that's kind of so they do have they do have the training to understand it. So the question is then, how do you put the two together? Right. Um, right. Uh, right. But so you don't. But you don't need to think about you don't. Um, Thinking about germs is not, it's not that it's not useful. It certainly is knowing that this is COVID-19 versus the flu. You take more precautions and things like that. Uh, but in terms of sort of um, designing your treatment and the, the actual clinical work, you do have to kind of go back to your Chinese medicine theory. Uh, and that does kind of, um, and that will kind of uh, guide you. And then, it, you know, at least in terms of COVID-19, it's, um, it turns out to be not that, not that, it's just not, I think the treatments I've been seeing just don't look that different than, um, how you might treat the common cold. Uh, no, it's, again, you got to, I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss it um, at, all, at all, but I'm just sort of saying uh, there's, there is actually, there is, is, there is actually an approach in Chinese medicine um, that, uh, uh, and it's just because it's coming at it from such a different angle, I think there's uh, a, lot of, a lot of promise. Yeah. So, I mean, um, the, the follow-up question to all of that then is, is, there, is this something that someone could do at home uh, so, so in other words, like, let's yeah. say someone listens to this podcast and they go, yeah. oh my gosh, like, I don't know if I've got wind coming or going or I'm damp or I'm cold or what the heck is going on? What, what should um, I do? Um, so um, I don't know if there's any sort of way that you can guide people through that. Um, are there yeah. preventative measures? Is there anything yeah. simple that people can do at home? Yeah. So that's, that, that, yeah, great question. So, um, if you, if you really got sick with COVID-19, mm, uh, um, uh, give me a call, also, you know, or something. You know, I'll, I'll try to treat you, or, or you know, find find a local practitioner who you think is skilled in herbal medicine. I think herbal medicine is really the way to go. Yeah. Um, and you might be able to kind of, um, and if if that person knows herbal medicine, I think you can get some treatments. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot to. Uh, I think once you're of course you're in a hospital too, doctors are not going to want your herbs in the hospital. Uh, but to come back to the preventative question, which is uh, which is also really important, and I think you have some unique perspectives in Chinese medicine. Um, uh, so there are things you can do, um, and I would really, um, and I can just kind of lay them out in some kind of very general ways. Yeah. Um, but sort of at the at the root of it, Chinese medicine really looks at. Um, like the individual kind of constitution, if you will, that's not quite the term used in Chinese medicine, but, uh, but that, but it's kind of some of the, that idea. So what is it uh, when somebody gets sick, you want to kind of ask, you know, why did this person get sick and not somebody else? Uh, now with COVID-19, maybe we, we all get it, but maybe not everyone gets as sick as everyone else. So what is it that, um, uh, and maybe some people don't get it. So, but so what is it, you know, why did these three people get it and this person did not? And then why did these two get very sick with it? And this one, not and in, in the case of COVID nineteen, we're really seeing that it's the elderly that are that are the most vulnerable, and so one really powerful way to think about this in terms of Chinese medicine um, is that you um, the, the Chinese medicine is very good at thinking about sort of deficiencies, is sort of the term, or thinking about vulnerabilities uh, in the body, um, and so you know why did why did this person get sick? Well. Um, one answer, not always the answer, but one answer would be there's some sort of vulnerability or some sort of deficiency in this person. Um, and so a lot of herbs and a lot of herbal formulas are sort of um, work to kind of address the, the vulnerability. Um, and, you know, just broadly speaking, you know, 
by the time we get to, by the time you're in your 70s, you're going to be much more vulnerable than anyone who's in their 50s or their 20s, you know. Um, yeah. But even in, uh, I, you know, I'm in my 50s now, so I really see it myself too. I'm like, oh, I can, I'm just not, you know, we all know that as you, as you age, you're not quite what you were. And so not to say that young people can't get sick, they can. Um, but uh, broadly speaking, you know, the elderly are going to have more of these sorts of deficiencies. Um, and so there are things you can do in Chinese medicine to, to, to kind of address that. And that's a big, it is a big focus in Chinese medicine. Um, so there is a, a classic form in Chinese medicine called, for example, like jade windscreen, which I'd recommend to, or jade, yeah, jade windscreen powder, which I'd recommend to a lot of people. Uh, I, we sell it at Dow Labs. I can say, tell, you, tell you about that later. Uh, but that's, that's something that's sort of out there. And that... Um, would use that form that has herbs like astragalus. Maybe your listeners are kind of familiar with that. It's something you can find at health food store. Well, astragalus is one of the key ingredients. That it astragalus uh, supplements chi in Chinese medicine, in particular, sort of like this defensive chi, which is thought to be sort of more on the exterior of the body. So it's sort of building up these, building up that defense, if you will. And then that form also has some other herbs to like kind of dispel wind a little bit and so wind is what wind is what's the thing that sort of you could think of a draft i think that's a kind of a an older idea but that's sort of that similar idea so you could think of like these wind dispersing herbs as things that like sort of you know give you a little bit of uh um protection against like a draft um and so that that's kind of the approach in chinese medicine i, I would say uh, even more broadly though like i don't um that I would urge your listeners to also just think about like what's going on in your body because it's Chinese medicine is always very holistic, and so you know if your thing if your thing is sort of like um, digestion, you've just had like years and years of digestive issues. That's that's really I'd say even more than like that particular formula. That's really where your focus needs to be is like how do like digestion is so important in Chinese medicine, but how do how do I get that back on track? Um, if your issue um, uh, you know, maybe it's a, maybe it's like a fibromyalgia or something else. And, I mean, I think if you for your all your various vulnerabilities, or maybe you've got some like um, uh, uh, renal uh, function issues or things like that. Whatever it is, you really want to kind of like address those because that's that's at the root of your particular um, vulnerabilities or deficiencies. And so I think that might even be a bigger principle than than like say that this one particular formula. But yeah, so um, I mean, essentially, what we're saying is take care of the root, right? So if if you if you or take care of the weakest link is perhaps take, take, kind of take care of the weakest link. I think would I, that would be my rec- that, that's how I'd approach it. And you know, anyone who kind of walked in my clinic, I would say I would want to know like what exactly is going on with you and address that. And then maybe if I'm if we're really you know COVID nineteen is all around, and then maybe on top of that, I might add in a little something to like disperse the wind or. Okay. So, so do you have, I mean, um, let, let's just sort of like expand that a little bit in, in China. Um, have you, have you been speaking to doctors over there, um, amidst all of this, you know, like what's going on over there? Do you know? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I've got a couple. Um, I've actually got a couple um, anthropology colleagues, uh, uh, anthropologists uh, who live in China, who are Chinese, live in China. Uh, and we're kind of trying to, we've been kind of like, uh, we, uh, we use WeChat, not Skype, but WeChat sort of the version of Skype in China. Um, uh, so we've been talking the last couple, uh, uh, last couple of weeks and trying to kind of like think about how, to, how do we kind of like take an anthropological look at what's going on. Um, uh, but yes, I think the, the answer is um, kind of what's happening. Um, 
And remember, Chinese medicine is not, not that everyone embraces it. There's plenty of people who don't like it in China too, but there is, um, I think because it's been, the government's really kind of pushing it. Um, there's maybe perhaps being a little bit of, of um, um, a little bit more of a, an awareness of its usefulness, of its, at least in this moment. Uh, but so there's a lot of uh, stories of people kind of, um, uh, maybe sharing their own personal formula, uh, like uh, okay. something like Jade Windscreen or something like that, with some, cooking something up and sharing it with their neighbors, uh, uh, or folks kind of seeking out um, something a little bit preventative. Um, I've had, I have actually have some Chinese friends uh, here in Boone, North Carolina, where I live, or uh, they've been, they've, uh, they've been, they've been calling me up also for uh, some like preventative herbal remedies. So there's, there's definitely some of that going on, and then clinically. Uh, um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll give sort of like a, a little summary of some things I've been reading about. And there's a doctor I know about who's been quite involved um, in treatments in kind of uh, Southwest China. So I, but I haven't had a chance to talk to him exactly, but, um, but there's, you know, as, as treatments have been going on, there's been um, like, for example, the, uh, the state council, which is sort of one of the highest um, uh, administrative bodies in China, um, recently had a press conference, I think it was just last week, where they sort of were announcing, sort of talk, discussing the role of Chinese medicine in the epidemic. And they were saying 90, they were saying 90 to 95%, really. Wow. Like, so okay. a, a very extensive number. So that's, I, I was shocked by that number. Um, and, uh, um, and was trying to confirm it with one of my colleagues. And she's like, well, that's exactly what, um, uh, she works pretty closely with a doctor in, uh, in Yunnan in the Southwest. She's like, well, that's okay. exactly what he's been telling me about the, about almost everyone. And, and are, are they, do you feel, I mean, just, do you know this, are, are they using a combination of Chinese medicine and then sort of adding perhaps things like vitamin C or um, some antiviral drugs? A very good question. I would expect, um, I would expect some kind of combination. So, um, uh, whether it's, um, it may, I don't know if it's supplements and things like that, but I, but clinically, definitely the trend in China, and this is totally true for all of my training, was that um, uh, doctors would do would do some of both. Uh, uh, so um, uh, if you had, uh, um, just give you a random example, say a patient comes in um, to see a doctor and she's got lupus, and it's a pretty uh, 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 lupus can have, you know, various uh, serious uh, autoimmune condition, and it can have various serious effects on your kidneys and other organs. Uh, if they think it's really acute, uh, they might use um, some. They might use some steroids right away to like tamp down that sort of autoimmune reaction, and then also uh, begin sending herbal medicine treatments, and then gradually pull the steroids away. As that, right, so then yeah. work, work from the ground up, kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. so I would I would also expect that there's probably some there's. Um, I'm almost for sure a combination. Of course, if anyone uh, needs to get on a ventilator or something like that, you're absolutely you're going to see sort of those kinds yeah, of questions. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there. Yeah. Um, you were yeah. you were. Uh, oh, and I was, um, was going to say one. So one study that came out recently uh, that this the state council was sort of uh, touting, anyways, um, where they were sort of claiming that they followed uh, maybe 1,200 patients across a number of provinces who are all true with Chinese medicine. Um, and then another 500 plus that were like in the city of Wuhan, which is the epicenter where it started. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, and what they, it looks like they did, what they, what looks like what doctors are doing is they're sort of breaking it down into different stages. Uh, and so they, they were saying there was sort of a light, standard, severe, and critical stages. Um, and then these two studies, basically they got sort of, or, or the way they sort of summed it up was sort of the results were essentially the same in that, uh, Basically, with Chinese herbal treatments, they didn't see patients getting 
they, see, they saw patients either recovering or maybe getting a little bit worse, but not really progressing. So the way they summed it up was case, patients with the mild cases, um, there were, uh, um, either the 1200 plus patient group or the 500 plus group, there was no cases that went from, there was no patients that went from mild to severe on tennis herbs. So they may have got to the standard, but then they recovered. And then they said there was also no cases of patients that went from like the standard uh, kind of presentation to critical. So maybe they got to severe, but they, they recovered and they didn't get all the to critical. So in other words, what we're saying is they prevented death essentially. I mean, that's, prevent that's what, yeah, that's, that seems to yeah. what they're saying. They prevent, there was, so there was no, there's no, nobody seemed to die on at least in those two groups. Right. Uh, now, right. uh, and as you so, kind of so pointed out the, Sorry, were they were they two specific herbs or? Uh, it wasn't two. Uh, I believe in those two groups, they might have been using sort of a, a quasi standardized formula. Okay. Uh, so as we just talked about, you um, uh, in, uh, and to clarify this a little bit for your listeners, uh, Chinese medicine um, not only is it sort of a, not only is it always about a combination of herbs, but one thing that often is very important clinically is that there's a lot of tinkering that goes on. So. Um, as the patient progresses or gets better or gets worse or whatever happens, uh, you continue to sort of tinker with that formula. So you can really, one of its advantages is you can really fine tune it. Um, and there's kind of, you know, you, you have to know your herbs and your principles for doing that. Um, and so we could easily imagine that even if you, if we just sort of like minimize some of that fine tuning and we just like went with four different formulas, one for each stage, um, uh, that's still already kind of like already very different than sort of a Western medicine approach. Uh, and I think what they did in these particular trials is they just, but they simplified it even more and went with some like one standardized formula, I think for all those patients. So other patients we could imagine might be getting a much more individualized treatment by particular doctors. But I think for these two groups, I think they went with this one formula and they consulted with, you know, some, uh, some very famous doctors on what that formula should be. Um, and so I think those, uh, those two trials were just really based on like using this one formula for, all those patients who are in different, you know, in some different stages. Um, so that's a somewhat of somewhat of a simplified treatment. Yeah, and I think, I mean, again, just trying to make this useful for listeners. Um, perhaps what you can do is maybe just provide us with. Um, you don't have to say the names because maybe it'll it'll escape people. But um, if you can even just send a short list of you know four or five things, um, even something that you personally uh, make. Oh, uh, some, some some treatments. Yeah, um, yeah and so I, I can just throw that in the show notes for people, and they can. Go into it themselves. I mean, so, so me being a little bit of a rookie in Chinese medicine, a total rookie, um, I've had people tell me certain things about myself because I have seen uh, Chinese medicine practitioners. And oftentimes, if someone tells you that you know you've got a yin deficiency, for example, of course we go to Doctor Google and we start looking at what yin deficiency looks like and how it presents and what foods to eat and so on. So um, I think at least for those people listening at home, um, that might be something useful to kind of grease the wheels a little bit. And then they can also, um, you know, take a look at your store and, and some of the products that you make as well. Yeah. So well, let me just give you like first a couple, like maybe like little home remedies. Uh, and, then I'll, and then I'll give you a couple of the products too that like you, you can get them at Dow Labs. You can also get them through practitioners too. Um, so, but just in terms of like home remedies, what are some things that kind of think about um, like one, one, and these are things that are maybe may around your house or easy, easy to get, but one kind of classic uh, thing for treating colds is ginger. Um, and so uh, you can make a, like a little bit, bit of a ginger, you can make a ginger tea, uh, um, a slice, you know, get, a, get uh, several quarter inch slides, throw it in a pot, boil it for five to 10 minutes, 
sweeten if you need, if you need to. But ginger is, is used very commonly in, in, in treating colds, and it's kind of good for good for uh, phlegm, um, and it's also very good for digestion as well too. Uh, so ginger is like um, um, don't sort of discount ginger. It's it's uh, just because it's in your your fridge. It's actually it's actually quite potent. So you could be doing that every if there's somebody around you with COVID nineteen. That would be like the maybe the first thing I'd start doing. Um, uh, licorice, if you can find like a licorice tea at your local health food market, uh, licorice is uh, used really really widely in Chinese medicine. But it, it it is quite good for like a sore throats and things like that. And it has it gives you a little bit of it gives you a little bit of that like um, it's it is considered like a chi supplementing um, herb. It's it's quite mild, uh, but so something like that gives just a little bit of a boost. Um, Do uh, people have to is, be concerned about high blood pressure? Uh, you'd want to you'd want to be a little bit little bit careful ab- about that, but um, I think if you're just using it, um, you know, for short periods of time, I think I think you'll be. And I guess as a tea as well, it's not going to be as potent if you were doing a concentrated tincture or something to that effect. That's 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 right. That's right. That's right. And as a tea, it won't be it won't be too potent. Um, uh, um, I would say mint is really great for sore throats, although I feel like maybe, I don't know if that's really what you want necessarily so much for COVID-19, um, but I'll just throw that out there. Um and then in terms of some just Chinese medicine products, um, the, the most classic one um, uh, that I mentioned, this formula called Jade Windscreen, and that's sort of my company, Dow Labs. At mm-hmm. Dow Labs, we call it immunity support. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a formula that's got uh, astragalus, another herb called Atractylodes, and uh, I'm going to forget, I'm gonna forget that it's called Fung Fung, Fung Fung in English. I forget. It's uh, Soposnikovia or something. It's got a long kind of Russian sounding name in, in English. Um, uh, uh, but that's, uh, um, I would use that formula. This will make confuse you a little, a little bit, but I would typically use it, um, for people who are, get repeated cold. So uh, you may, all, we probably are all familiar with people who just seem to kind of catch every bug going around that sort of, that sort of person uh, typically is sort of a person who's got like that chi deficiency or that defensive chi deficiency. Uh, that is like the classic formula for that. And, um, Long before COVID nineteen was ever around, I, I would often use that formula for anyone I saw who was like couldn't get flu through flu season without like five different colds or something like that. So that's kind of a classic formula like that, um, uh, and um, um, that's probably the most important. And then I would say then and then maybe thinking about folks with like digestive issues, um, there is another formula in Chinese medicine called uh, Preserve Harmony Formula Bao Huan. It doesn't quite have the wind dispersing formulas for it. But like I said, digestion is so important that um, if you're really, if you're, if you've got like indigestion after every meal, I would say maybe go with that even before you go with, or maybe even do that together. Uh, we sell, we sell now that one, like for example, we sell at Dow Labs, we call that digestive harmony. Um, uh, but you, you're, um, you know, if you've got a local acupuncturist, um, you can, you can maybe do some Skype calls or something like that. They'll probably be happy to uh, prescribe it for you. But that would be like a, a really uh, simple standard one that, um, that's really going to help with um, uh, digestion. Um, how, does, how, how, do, um, how do medicinal mushrooms come into the fold in Chinese medicine? Are, are, are they quite prominent with this? Uh, medicinal mushrooms, that's an interesting question. So one of the, uh, the most famous one is um, reishi, which is the Japanese name for lingzhi in Chinese, uh, gadaderma. Um, uh, I think that's also, uh, that's also would be a, um, a good choice. Uh, it wouldn't quite have the wind dispersing, but it could be helpful. Um, that one is, uh, it, it, does, um, it is, does have a little bit of supplementing uh, properties. And so that would, that, would be, um, that would be one to think about as well, too. 
Because, um, because I mean, my understanding again, I'll just sort of look at it from more of a Western approach. Is um, you know, I I do work with a medicinal mushroom company, so I do some some training for them, and obviously it's a it's a Western approach, looking at it from a supplemental standpoint. But when you start um, putting mushrooms together, what it's really doing is it's increasing macrophage activity, it's increasing um, natural killer cell production and so yeah. forth. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you've got the adaptogenic properties as well. Right. Lots of, you know, cardiovascular health, et cetera, et cetera, for, for reishi anyway. Um, so, you know, again, from a Western approach, um, something that's not going to cause any problems, but something that could provide at least some defensive um, t- type of, of mechanism. Um, yeah, so like uh, maybe a little home formula could be if you've got some uh, some sort of reishi mushroom kind of su- supplement in your you know cabinet would be uh, a little bit of reishi mushroom every day or, or some kind of combination of medicinal mushrooms. Uh, that'll give you a little bit of that supplementing kind of boost to the body, help address some deficiencies, and then maybe like a ginger tea every day. And ginger has a, ginger is like a wind dispersing herb and good for digestion and uh so you know maybe those two together or, put, or combine them or something awesome <laughs> like all right and yeah for those of you listening out there um you know i've just started up a facebook group obviously depending on when you're listening to this um that could be many months in the future but uh as of recording time right now i have actually put in a mushroom um sort of like a broth uh, type of base that you could use to make other food. Uh, so that recipe is in there right now, um, as well as some other goodies. So check out the show notes. You can click the link, join the group. And then um, just to wrap this up, where can people find your work and get in touch with you? And obviously, I'm going to add that in the show notes as well. Okay, well, great. So um, well, so for my company website, it's it's my mydowlabs.com, my D-A-O-L-A-B-S.com. Um, and there is a blog there. In fact, I've got a little um, blog piece on um, COVID-19 and, you know, why Chinese medicine might be something that kind of like how, just a little description of some things we talked about today there. Um, and so there's some of those um, uh, supplements we talked about, uh, you can kind of get, get there. It's not always so easy to get these things um, um, but, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, some of my more academic writings too, uh, there's a number that are sort of published like open source as well. So if you just Google my name, uh, if you're kind of uh, ready for something a little bit headier, <laughs> go for that. Uh, but we I think there's also like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I would also say that on the, uh, Dow, the my Dow labs uh, website, um, I do a lot of the writings. Of, I do write about all the formulas for a little bit more popular audience. So yeah. you might have to search around a little bit, but as you, if you do, you can kind of click through and read. And I try to kind of give a, uh, a kind of a layperson's explanation of like why this formula works. Yeah. 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 No, and I think that's useful as well. Um, not everyone wants to dive headfirst into academia. Sometimes um, we need a short paragraph just to help us out and we're good to go, you know? Yeah. A couple of pages. Maybe start with a couple of pages, but if you're, but if you like, the, if you like that, there's more. <laughs> yeah. All right, Eric. Well, um, great chatting with you today. And um, for you folks out there, uh, I think this is a good episode to check out the show notes um, because obviously some of the stuff that we spoke about today might have you know, escaped you or gone over your head, especially if you've never ever thought or looked into Chinese medicine. Um, perhaps some things uh, might escape you. So uh, check out the show notes. Um, go onto Eric's website and you can uh, read the descriptions there and uh, t- you know, tap into what he's up to. And then, uh, yeah, as I said, join our Facebook group. Um, we're, we're, we just launched a couple of days ago, so people are coming in. And um, that is really a community support group. That That is the sole intention of that. Um, we are 
non-fear-based, non-panic-based. Uh, we are <laughs> solutions-based, and um, right. that is the primary intention. So thanks for stopping by today, Eric. Um, great, to, great to hang out and chat with you about Chinese medicine. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Brad. It's a great opportunity, and, and glad to be having this kind of discussion at, at this time. Yeah, Awesome. And yeah. Uh, for those of you listening out there, as always, uh, please consider subscribing, reviewing, sharing this with your friends, your family, your community, and uh, yeah, just uh, keeping the show going and getting more awesome guests like Eric on the show. So thanks for tuning in and you have yourself a beautiful day wherever you are.